This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode 447. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast. I am your co-host, Jacob Paulson. Today, Riley is MIA. He is on a gun range somewhere shooting stuff. And so I am joined by co-host Matthew Merrister. I'm the co-co-host. The co-co-host. Yes. So we're going to have a great episode for you today. We're really excited. We're going to be uh, essentially debuting a brand new format, a thing that we hope to do with lots of different topics in the future. But this will be our first attempt at this format. We picked a topic that we thought would be uh, easier for us since this is going to be the first time we're ever doing this. And this format is all about debate. We are going to, Matthew and I, each take one side of an issue and just own it and really debate it. And, uh, you know, because we're virtual and, you know, Matthew's <laughs> in, in Ohio and I'm here in Colorado, neither of us can like punch the other one or, or <laughs> scream or yell. There's no moderator here. So we'll see who's most forceful at uh, owning the microphone. I've got a feeling it's going to be me and it's going to be super fun. So stay tuned for that. But first, a message from our sponsors. Today's sponsor is High Viz Sites. I'm a I'm a fan of High Viz. I have High Viz Sites currently. They're lightwave H3s on my Glock 19, which is a gun I use uh, a considerable amount. And I like High Viz. Uh, first and foremost, I'll just tell you that one of the best things about High Viz, and no one else is going to care about this like I do, but they're based in Wyoming, so they're clearly God Country, you know, gun loving folk because they're headquartered in. Laramie, Wyoming, and nothing is headquartered in Laramie, Wyoming. Uh, so, so props to HiViz for being awesome people and an awesome company. Uh, we stop by their booth every year at Shot Show. We're familiar with a lot of members of their team, and they put out a good product. And the new H3 sites are amazing. I figure if something was good enough for Jerry Mitchellek, it's, it's got to be good enough for me, Matthew. What do you think? I, I, I think that's solid logic. I think that's good. Uh, he seems like a pretty squared away guy, though, when it comes to. Uh, comes to gun modifications and gun stuff so i would uh yeah. i think he's a good guy to follow yeah the high viz shooting team is is pretty broad you know i, I figure if, if max michelle is putting these sights on his gun they're probably Something pretty good it. for me yeah <laughs> uh so anyway high viz sites check them out high viz h-i-v-i-z sites.com and consider them for your next sites upgrade okay so with that matthew let's do this thing all right, let's try it out. So here's the disclaimer. Um, today, in today's episode, I guess, you know, if I had an attorney here, he'd write something <laughs> fancy. And it, it would probably say something like, you know, the comments in this episode do not necessarily reflect the opinions and views of Consult Carry Inc. or the participating you know, hosts. That sounds pretty legal sounding, right? Right, right. I get it. The short of it is Matthew and I have picked a topic. Today, it's going to be gun modifications and upgrades. And we have chosen in advance who is going to take which side of the debate. And we are going to own that side of the debate regardless of our personal feelings. So I am going to own the side of the debate that is no gun modifications, no upgrades. I believe in a stock gun. I'll make my opening argument here in a moment. (laughs) Matthew is going to own the side of the debate that is strictly like no like your gun should look like you know somebody took an ar-15 and puked it up and it's just got (laughs) stuff all over it it's all sorts of upgraded and awesome sauce and that makes you awesomer cooler and a better shooter and uh obviously the correct answer is probably somewhere in the middle there's your spoiler but 
that is where we're at. That's how we're going to approach this today. Did I, yeah. did I do justice, Matthew? Anything you'd add yeah. before we dive in? Yeah, I'm, I, and you know, I'm going to try to use. Um, you know, w- we write a lot of content on the on the website, obviously, and we get a ton of uh, comments in whether it's Facebook or on the or the the posts themselves, and from various, obviously, various uh, points of view on all the topics. So, what I'm hoping to do is try to draw from some of those. Um, comments that people have made. Um, and so they're, they're realistic arguments that might, you might be sitting there thinking, um, you know, I agree with that. So it's not going to be some out of, you know, out of left field, crazy notion, um, but realistic comments and, and concerns that people might, might uh, pose for both sides, for, for my side of the argument, at least. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to be some crazy, stupid, you know, clueless, far-fetched, you know, Loser, like, yeah, we're I'm, we're trying to make sensible, legitimate uh, arguments on both sides of the debate. I'm glad you said that. Right. Yep. Okay. So, with that, I'm going to start with my opening arguments, Matthew. Well, I'm going to start right. broad, and then we're we're going to get into some of the specifics. But here's here's the broad scope thing, and and I'm just again moving forward. I'm just going to own this, okay, regardless of any personal feelings. So here's the deal, man. Like. I, I, if, if a gun was meant to be modified, it would have come differently. A manufacturer sell, makes and sells a gun the way they intend for that gun to be, right? They, the way they expect it to perform at its peak performance is the way they make it. And so conceptually, I think that the idea that uh, changing a gun, modifying it, upgrading it in any, in any respect is basically saying, you know better than the company that made the gun. And that's to me is outlandish. Like the idea that that you think you know more than Glock knows about making a gun, that you you know better than Sig Sauer how to make a quality handgun is is it's just that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense to me. Clearly, these companies have uh, entire teams, floors of buildings of people who are professionals in this industry who design and manufacture firearms. And, and surely they know best how to put out the product that they want to put out there. And I think that the other, the other thing I see a lot of Matthew, people like you uh, doing is I see that you guys are, you're taking a gun, let's say it's a four or $500 gun and you'll go out and spend $150 on sites, a hundred dollars on a trigger upgrade, $200 on a stipple job, hundred dollars on some slide cuts or serrations. And all of a sudden it's like, you just got this really sweet, awesome, updated gun, but you actually spent eight nine hundred dollars on it, and you could have taken that money and bought a gun that was an eight nine hundred dollar gun that, in my opinion, would have been a better firearm that came already upgraded, that was more expensive out of the gate, but it has all these features that you were attempting to achieve, and they came stock from a factory with a warranty the way it should be. So that's that's my overarching belief here in in this in this conversation today. Yeah, well, um, I, I appreciate your uh, your side of that uh, of the, the the debate there, um, but when it comes to you know firearms, um, you're right. There is there are a lot of R and D that goes into the designing the guns and making sure they're safe and making sure that specs are right and sights are um, you know proper height and for point of aim and point of impact and trigger pulls are are within tolerances and things like that. Um, the problem is, is that when gun manufacturers make their guns, um, they make it 
for a broad audience and they don't make it specifically for my needs. Um, I have small hands, you know, so they don't make a gun. Um, if I want to carry a Glock 19, um, my hands are a little bit smaller than maybe say Riley's hands and they might fit his hands better. So I might have to adjust that grip so I can still get the benefits of, you know, the same, um, sight radius or the same magazine capacity or whatnot. Um, but for my puny little hands, I got to be able to, you know, reach the, the slide stop easier. So, um, I think while the premise of making a gun that is, you know, best for everybody, um, but not, uh, or, or good for everybody, but not best for that one individual buyer, you know, we, we modify all kinds of things. We modify our cars with different things. Um, if you own a truck, you probably, you know, half the, half the, the truck is modified with aftermarket products. Um, so we modify a lot of things. And I think that's kind of our nature to modify it. So not only does it feel like our own, but it fits what we need and how we want to use it. So um, I think modifications are totally good. And I, I actually think they're they're probably necessary if you want to shoot that gun to the to its peak uh, you know, potential. Mm. So you started with grips. So I, I think we need to talk about that first. You know, you use you used as an example that you're you know you have smaller hands, and mm. uh, I I'm very normal. I have I'm like I'm the quintessential average American male. I'm five nine one eighty five, so I'm 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 just like average. I'm the average American male, which means that I pick up a Glock nineteen, it fits my hands. I pick up a Glock forty three, it's a little small for my hands, right? I go pick mm. up a X five, and it's a little big for my hands. So you know what I do then? I buy the Glock nineteen. Cause it fits my hands. Like I don't, you, you, you know, you want a Glock 19, but you want to modify it to fit your hands. And my world's like, well then go buy a Glock 48, bro. Like that, yeah. that you know, Glock has already made guns that fit your hands. And in fact, a lot of manufacturers from the factory come with different, uh, you know, back straps or other you know, grip modules and things like that, sure. uh, that, that allow for that. So I think that there's enough companies out there making guns uh, in in enough different sizes that you can go find a gun that fits your hands and has whatever other criteria you probably need, especially if you're willing to spend the money that you would have spent on modifications. Then you can you can get things right out of the the performance center or out of you know a higher end, more expensive gun that might normally feel like it's out of reach, but ultimately you're going to spend that much anyway after you do things like uh, you know like modify things for grip. And there are, there's other things related to grip, but you know I'm I'm going to start there. Yeah, I mean, and you 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 mentioned um, one aspect of the grip, right? Like the size of it, um, and and that's true. There's there's things that um, you know you could buy a smaller gun that might have a smaller grip, or maybe you go to a single stack that's a little bit skinnier. Um, but when you do that, you compromise the other feel of the gun, right? Like the balance. We, we know that Glock, um, they make all kinds of different, you know, length, uh, they put like a 19, um, with a, with a smaller, uh, grip, like a, a 23 slide with a 19 grip, right? So to throw different, uh, balances where you might want a longer slide on a, sh on a shorter grip, a shorter grip or a longer grip on a shorter slide, because all that matters as far as um, how that gun feels in your hand, how it balances. And so, you know, while you're right, there are different size grips and that, that is one aspect of buying, you know, uh, one Glock versus another. Um, there's more that goes into it than just the actual size and how it fits in your hand. Um, 
to the feel and the balance of the gun. So I, th- I would think that um, there's definitely a purpose if they did, if, if it was just, Hey, we just Glock would just make a small, medium and large size grip kind of like SIG. But even we see in those grips, you know, the, they have uh, the, the P320 small, medium, large, and then they have like these, you know, in intermediate ones where they have the X grip that's sculpted a little bit differently. And it's just the hair, you know, below a, a large, but above a medium. And it's so even SIG in their effort to kind of standardize a, a, a size of grip can't do it because the human hand and the, the balance of the guns are so different and so tuned to the, the slide length and all that, that um, it really goes beyond just the size of the grip. Perhaps I, I still think there's a lot of guns with lots of different sizes of grips, and I think that a, a savvy buyer is going to make sure that they buy a gun that fits their hands to begin with. And you know, I I, I think that's that's my my thought there. But I see a lot of a lot of people like you, Matthew, out there uh, doing the stipple jobs. You know, oh, I gotta you know poke holes and you know this plastic or bring up these little dots, and I have to pay somebody sometimes hundreds of dollars to. Uh, make my 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 grip of my gun feel more like sandpaper, mm-hmm. you know, right. versus the way it comes. And I think that this is ultimately just a a, a way to make up for a poor grip. I think that mm. you know a true shooter, if they train and they have good skills, can go pick up any gun and just grip it properly. And they shouldn't need to put down tons of money to create a stipple job that, in my opinion, does nothing more than give you something uh, cool to post on Instagram. Yeah, well, and, and you kind of hit kind of a, a, a the angle of if I'm a really good shooter, right, that I should be able to pick up any gun and shoot it relatively well. And I think that fundamentally, that's a that's a sound uh, a sound concept, right? Like Thank we you. should be able to right, we should be able to pick up a gun, and, and the fundamentals should transfer. Um, however, it's not always the case, and not everybody has the same abilities. So for example, somebody who has diminished hand strength, um, having a more um, uh, friction on the grip, that might actually help them where, um, you know, sure, they could they could shoot every gun the same, but this gun that is stippled or that has an applied grip that gives them more grip friction naturally, inherently, just because of um, there's more surface area and it's it's more aggressive. Um, they shoot it better given everything else. I put two 19s together, one stippled or has grip, you know, application on it that makes it grippier. Um, and this one doesn't. If they have, you know, they apply the same fundamentals, this one, they will shoot better because inherently they can control the gun a little bit better. It might not be um, noticeable where, you know, I, I go from sucking as a shooter to, you know, I'm Jerry Mitchell, but, um, those, th- those things may give that shooter a little bit more confidence in, in controlling the gun. And we know that if you don't feel comfortable controlling the gun, that's one of the biggest things with shoot- new shooters is I feel like the gun's going to fly out of my hand. I'm concerned about the, the recoil. And so that translates into, major anticipation and major questioning of, am I doing this right and that? So once you can kind of put that to the side of, yeah, you can control the grip and or the gun and this grip en- enhances your ability to do so. Um, I think that, you know, 
that um, can definitely go a long way into giving that shooter some confidence in their abilities. Um, and, and, you know, it does look cool and it does cost money, but um, I think that putting grip where you want it compared to where Gaston Glock thinks it should go or, you know, that some engineer at Taurus thinks or, uh, you know, the grip zone Right. I, I don't need like somebody to tell me where the grip zone is. Like I want my own grip zone. So I'm going to put grip zone where I want it and you guys can do what you want. But um, I think that that's a, uh, that's something that individual shooters want to be able to control is, is uh, how much friction on this gun. So, um, and the, and the cost frankly, isn't, isn't terrible. You can, as long as you're not, uh, you take your time, you could probably do it on your own. I've seen some butchered, uh, frames, but some, some decent ones out there, home, homegrown. So, I mean, it sounds to me like, uh, it's, it's, it's maybe going to make a minor difference in the ability to shoot well, whereas just training to grip a gun properly, you know, is, is probably a better use of one's time and, and, and money because you get a bunch of other benefits beyond just, ooh, I can grip this gun better. And, and, and you know, it also comes back to what I said earlier when we were talking about grips in that. You know, manufacturers make guns with varying degrees of, uh, you know, stippled grips. So if you want something smooth and, you know, shiny or whatever, like that's out there. If you want something that's like, feels like sandpaper, no problem. Like those guns are already on the market. Just go buy the one that has the grip you want. So it feels like, once again, we don't necessarily need to modify stuff. You just go buy the one that's got whatever degree of stippling you want or whatever, whatever you know, the grip yeah, zone you, are- you love. But if you've already spent your money on that gun, right, you have a holster for it, you've bought sights for it, you bought, um, you know, it's it's a nine millimeter, you bought all kinds of nine, you know, nine millimeter ammunition, whatever it might be, you like that brand, whatever, um, and you've already invested money in that instead of having to scrap that or say, you know, what am I going to do with this? I don't have enough money for that. Um, it, it might be a lower budget solution uh, uh, or fix, right? To instead of scrapping that whole gun and having to go out and buy a new holster and all kinds of stuff. So um, that's one, one benefit of doing it kind of on your own or, or adding a modification versus getting an entire new gun. Though I I worry about Matthew things that void warranty, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, when, when we're talking about an expensive, lethal, potentially lethal instrument, it seems to me that we should do everything possible to maximize our ability to send a gun back into a manufacturer. And so, you know, you just you do something silly, like, you know, get a stipple job done on your grip, and then you have some other issue with this gun, and you go to do a warranty claim, and now you can't do one because the stippled grip that you did, which is unrelated to the issue completely, it just voids your warranty outright. Don't you see that as an issue? I, I think voiding a warranty can be an issue. However, um, I would, I can't think of, I've, I've warrantied one gun and that was an internal mechanism uh, component that would have had probably no, you know, no issue whether I put a, a you know, applied a, a talon grips to it or not, or change sites or not, that wouldn't have uh, affected the warranty uh, on that particular thing. And, and, you know, I think um, if, if, a warranty is great. Um, I, I would question um, people to think about when was the last time you warrantied your gun, um, it, to, you know, and in a way that that manufacturer said, hey, have you applied talon grips to your gun? Um, I remember when I sent my gun into SIG for warranty, 
I had talent grips on it when I sent it in and they didn't, I mean, it wasn't like, Oh, you know, they poo pooed on it because it had talent grips. Um, so I think some modifications internally may, they may say, Hey, hold up. You guys kind of change the sauce that's inside. Um, but externally, um, surely if you stippling and you puncture through and, and cause some sort of problem with the frame that, you know, you, you could damage a frame of course. Um, but I think, most of the modifications uh, that one would make uh, wouldn't void a warranty that you would typically warranty a gun for. Um, I, I just don't see uh, warranties for external type things on guns. Mostly it's internal, like a recall or something like that. Mm. Well, you know, teach that on the, on the grip. I think I've said my two bits. Let's transition Matthew, and one of the things I see people doing all the time is uh, upgrading sites. And this is another one of those things where I'll just reiterate uh, some of the issues with sites because, like I said earlier, the, the manufacturers provided the sites that they think work well for the guns. So I don't know why I, I, I think I know more about a gun than you know Smith and Wesson does, who makes them. Um, I, I, the sites I think are. I also have to be concerned about. Uh, potentially doing damage to the gun when I'm changing out the sights or taking it to a gunsmith to do it and, and expense. My goodness, you know, sights are not cheap. You're probably talking about 80 to 150, $200 for an upgraded pair of sights. Is, is it really going to make that big of a difference? Yeah. That, and, and sights, if I, if I had a magic wand, I'd wave it and say sights should be like half the cost of what they are, but they're very important. So, you know, they do demand kind of a, a higher price tag. I know they're tiny, but sights are so important to how you shoot that gun. I mean, if you think about how you shoot the gun, um, even in self-defense context, if you're not point shooting, which, you know, probably three yards and in, right. If, if, if anything outside of that, uh, where you're using either a flash sight picture type thing, or you're using, you know, fundamental marksmanship, um, the sights are super important and how your brain and eyes perceive those sights is super critical into how quickly you can shoot, how quickly you can acquire those sights under what lighting conditions. And the problem is, is if you look at Glock, I'll use Glock as an example. Their sites notoriously have been horrible. Like their stock sites, unless you buy, you know, their, their night, night sites uh, were plastic. And I mean, there's sure that you could argue, well, the gun itself is plastic, but um, sites get banged up and nicked. And I've seen sites that people don't even realize, but they're, they're bent and they're, they're, you know, they got a little divot in there because somebody hit their site on something. And so, um, manufacturers, I, for whatever reason, they haven't caught on to putting decent self-defense sites on, I would say up until maybe a few years ago, five, you know, four or five years ago, where they started to actually just come standard and say, hey, we're not going to make these sites an upgrade from the manufacturer because Glock will say, oh, you can upgrade your sites or SIG would say you can upgrade your sites. Well, because they know that better sites are better. And so they ship you this gun with lower quality sites at a cheaper price and say, well, upgrade your sites. Well, why not just upgrade them to begin with? Cause you know, those are garbage. So, um, you know, those shooters were going and buying sites from different companies rather than SIG or Glock. So they say, why don't we get a piece of the pie and we'll sell it, you know, from the manufacturers. That's what I think. So they realize sites are important. We're not living up to our, 
our, our, you know, our, the bill, as far as putting good sights on our guns, people are going out and changing them all the time. And so, I mean, you mentioned earlier about Jerry Mitchellick that I guarantee you that guy could pick up a gun with stock sights and shoot it well, but he would probably say, if I put these sights on, I would shoot it better because I perceive the sights better and they, you know, this and that. So, um, I think sights is probably are probably one of the best upgrades you can make on a gun and it will not void a warranty. Uh, sure. You could destroy the gun. You could damage the gun, but, um, you know, you could, you, you can do it right and you can do it wrong. Um, and so I think getting the right sights really important, um, and, uh, pays off huge in, in the long run. And sure training goes into that as well, but you know, these little modifications, uh, can, can help you shoot the gun a little bit better, uh, while you're training. It's not one or the other, right? I think that you just, you know, some of the things you said, I think, go counter to your argument. I mean, let's talk about durability first. You mentioned that some of these sites that come are not, you know, very durable. You see nicks and stuff on them. I don't, I don't think any sites are infallible. You know, there's no, mm. it's not like some, there's some magical aftermarket sites that also don't break. In fact, mm. I could, you know, we could Google it right now and I'm confident I could find plenty of uh, situations where some of these fancy fob, fiber optic tritium light pipe whatever things have broken. In fact, sometimes mm-hmm. they're even more subject to breaking than traditional stock sites. And you said it yourself. If you're that concerned about plastic sites, I'm wondering why you bought a plastic gun. It's the same kind of polymer <laughs> material. So I, I think that the argument could be made that you know durability. Maybe it's true that these sites are slightly more durable than those, but I think to suggest that as a general rule, stock sites are less quality. Than or less likely to break than aftermarket sites is, I think, completely ridiculous. Um, I, I, I also think that you know you mentioned cost. <laughs> yes, obviously, training and gun modifications are not necessarily mutually exclusive, right? It's not always a binary decision. I either get training or I get this gun modification. For some people, it is, and in a in a given moment, it might be. Uh, in a given moment, I might ha- I might say I got $150 to spend. Am I going to go buy to take a class, or am I going to buy a pair of upgraded sites? And so, in that moment that someone has to make that decision, I think that it's easier to buy a thing than it is to buy skill. And so, a lot of people end up buying something like upgraded sites, thinking it's going to make them better. Yeah, and, and that's a problem across. I mean, I think that's a problem with our our minds and our ability to put work in rather than a problem with the, with the sites or the, at the, the, the modification itself. Right. Like I think the, the desire to get a fix easily, right. Like I don't want to put in work or uh, so I, these sites might make me shoot better. So I won't put in the work. I'll just buy the sites. I think that's a, a problem with the, with the person or, or our motivations rather than um, a problem with, or, or a, a condemnation of the sites not being beneficial, right? Like um, we definitely, if you, if you had to put it on a scale and say, right now you have a hundred dollars, should you buy sites or should you train? I would say it depends because it, if you don't know what you don't know and you haven't trained at all, I would say go train if you you're training and you're kind of getting to the point where you're saying, I think I could benefit from using these sites because I understand now um, all these other th- fundamental principles of shooting. And I think that 
my sites would help me or having uh, X type of site, maybe a night site or maybe a fiber optic site might help me under this circumstance. My eyes are getting a little older and things I can't um, pick up colors as well. Um, I think at that point, then you take that hundred dollars and you move it towards sites. Um, but you know, that, that's a hard, that's a hard thing to, to say, um, pick one versus the other. But uh, certainly, you know, especially in today's day, uh, people are are strapped for cash and, and training is expensive, ammunition's expensive. So um, there are a lot of people trying to just, you know, kind of get by. But I, I wholeheartedly believe that there is a time where, um, you know, you kind of outgrow that stock uh, gun and you have to upgrade it because you 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 want to push the envelope just to just to push it a little bit further. See what more can I get out of this gun? Well, one other thing you said that I think kind of can you know could support either side of this argument. But you said yourself that a lot of gun manufacturers today are shipping guns with upgraded sites, whatever that is. And so, you know, if you really care about those different sites, I think that there's options. A person could just go buy the gun that way uh, from, from the market. Um, but another, another thing that I think is an issue for me with sites is I guess two things. One, people like you are always saying that, well, you know, I can see it better in the dark. To me, that's pretty a little bit phony baloney. For one, I don't ever plan on shooting in complete darkness. I mean, isn't that a safety concern? Don't we all talk about the safety uh, rules and knowing that we have to identify our target? And so if I'm really in pitch dark, I shouldn't be shooting. Wouldn't you agree? So, so how big of a difference are these night sights, you know, really, when we're talking about situations where I have to be able to see at least well enough to uh, see my threat? Yeah, I, um, I think there's a misconception about night sights in that you know, you use them when you can't see anything. And obviously to your point, um, we don't shoot, you know, when we can't see anything, right. We wouldn't know, even if the sights were aligned, we wouldn't know what they were aligned on. Right. Uh, night sights are beneficial. I think, um, in their purpose is, is more suited for low light, lower light, right. Where, um, you can't really discern where that rear sight is, in relationship to the, or the front sight in relationship to the rear sight, or, um, you know, in relationship to what you're shooting at rather than a total pitch black, you know, blindfold over your eyes type darkness. Um, so there are, there is application for night sights. We could debate whether, you know, how probable it or how likely it is that you're going to need to shoot in low level. I guess it depends on the person. If they work at night, they work nights or they normally pass through uh, parking structures that are a little lower light areas, I guess they would have a higher probability than somebody who never leaves their house, you know, after, you know, the light, the, the, the sun goes down. So I think we could argue about the, the effectiveness or the, the, the purpose of them or, or not the purpose, but how practical they are. Um, but it's kind of a misnomer to say that the, you know, they're only for pitch black night. They, they do have a, a purpose in lower light. That, that seems fair, but I, I, I don't think that we're, I don't think that sight alignment is rocket science. I, I I'm hearing what you're saying. And I think that the argument here is that, well, you know, I want to be able to acquire sites quickly. We're, we're talking about lining up a post in, in, in the middle of two other posts. Like it just doesn't actually seem that complex to me. And ultimately it sounds like a training issue. Like it, it sounds like, 
a person should be able to learn to line up, you know, a stick between two other sticks and, and be able to do that. And I don't, it's hard, it's hard to believe that because this one's green or this one's orange or this one's white or this one's curvy and this one's flat, like whatever, that those things really ultimately make any significant difference on just the basic theoretic concept here, which is line up post between two other posts. Yeah. And fundamentally it's the same, right? But would you agree that if you could, let's say you could say, um, I want to make this process one one hundredth better. Um, and I have a device that you could put on your gun and uh, and you can afford it, right? Uh, would you do it? Like just just you, Jacob, um, if I could say you don't have to train anymore, just doing this naturally will make it slightly easier for you to see your sights and line them up. Would you do it? Well, if there weren't any other downsides, I suppose I would. But I think that there's obviously some downsides to that. I think that your theoretic argument is 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 the the premise is false. Hmm. Well, I, I don't see any like the, the downsides of putting night sights on your gun. They work just fine in the daytime. So, um, you know, they're they're really no different than your typical iron sight with a white little dot. They just have a little tritium vial in there. Well, I think that there are some downsides. I think I think expense, I think cost is one. You know, you mentioned if you could afford it, so I kind of I, I suppose you built in that disclaimer. There's also the tools and or know how to swap out the sites uh, from the factory, or ta- having to take it to a gunsmith, and there's an additional cost. Now I got to pay a gunsmith to do it. Uh, there's a potential concern that these are less durable. I mean, you mentioned earlier that you know maybe stock sites are less durable, but I, I think I think the opposite argument could be made uh, that all these little light vials and tritium and fiber optic stuff, it's all you know. From in my world, a, a material that's arguably less durable than your standard stock sites. So I think there's there's lots of potential uh, you know, counter arguments or downsides to maybe arguably giving myself a slight incremental, you know, easier to acquire site picture. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I guess I could concede that um, cost is a factor, and I, I don't know if necessarily inherently a, a tritium vial is you know, less, uh, reliable than just an iron stock uh, iron site. Because I mean, if, if you're, let's say your tritium vial breaks, you still have your iron sights. So you don't lose anything there, you know, in, in that, 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 um, night site isn't any more prone to break off than a typical iron site. Right. So, um, I, I assume that, or I suppose that if you're, tritium vial breaks and you no longer have the ability to use a night sight, you still have your iron sights and you're no worse off than, than you would if you never had them. And you call in, you know, company X to <laughs> warranty your night sight and they send you a new uh, tritium night sight and you're, you're good to go. But um, yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the downsides, I just don't think if you can afford it, per, certainly cost could be a, a, a factor or a prohibitive factor in everything, right? That could be the barrier for everything. That could be the barrier why you buy a, you know, a, a Taurus versus a, you know, a, I don't know, Staccato 2011, you know? Um, so I don't know, it costs, it was, at some point we have to kind of push costs to the side and say, if you can afford it, because all these modifications, if you put cost as a barrier, you, you wouldn't do anything. You probably wouldn't train either. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, that's, I think that's a valid point. 
I don't think I have much more to say on the topic of sites. I think I've <laughs> presented my side of that one pretty well. Uh, people on Facebook think I'm doing a great job being rude. <laughs> okay, so Matthew, let's talk about uh, Trigger. You know, triggers mm-hmm. come up all the time. There are companies out there, just like there are companies out there that are dedicated to uh, selling aftermarket sites. We have we have companies out there that are dedicated to selling aftermarket triggers. And I think that this is also one of those potential fallacies that has caught our industry up. And, and I think that you know it's, it's semi-ridiculous. And I'll, so I'll give you a couple of thoughts and I'll let you comment on them. Um, one would be just the safety concern. You know, if we've learned anything from the last 10 years watching the handgun market, it's that it'd be really, really critical that the, the guns be dialed into a very specific specification to ensure safety. Uh, we've seen recalls, we've seen voluntary upgrades, and the tolerances are very tight. Uh, it's, it's a very small, minute difference that takes the trigger from being awesome and safe to being not safe. And when we start playing with the trigger, you're replacing it outright or modifying a trigger, I think that we are uh, often jeopardizing safety for you know maybe some slight incremental feely better thingy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess if you're, you're super concerned about litigation, that would be, you know, um, I think there's a lot of people out there that are more concerned about shooting and hitting their target than they are with facing some legal consequence that might potentially maybe legal, may legal consequence aside, Matthew, we can, we can debate that one in a minute. I'm talking about outright safety concerns. Mm. I'm talking, you know, forget what the court says. I'm talking about my gun going off when it's not supposed to. Yeah, well, as long as your finger's not on the trigger, you know, that's that's my only safety I need, right? Like, um, I, I think we learned that as one of the safety rules. So, if if you have an issue with lightening your trigger and it makes you more prone to, I don't think that lightening your trigger makes you more prone to stick your finger in and pull it. If you're going to do that on an eight-pound trigger, you're probably going to do it on a one-pound trigger. Um, so, I think that might be a training issue right there, that 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 safety issue. Yeah, but we've we've seen examples of guns that uh, the trigger is effectively out of spec, and it makes mm. it so that what previously might have been drop safe no longer is, right? So Certainly. it's not just you know the, the gun now potentially can go off when it's not supposed to when the trigger is not being depressed, uh, right. and, and and so I, I think we see a lot of safety concerns that come up with trigger modifications. Yeah, oh, oh, of course. I mean, and there are there are obviously guns that have come from the factory out of spec or with drop safety issues or or safety issues dealing with the trigger itself. So um, I don't think that that's, you know, unique to uh, gun trigger modifications. Certainly there are some trigger mod- uh, companies that make aftermarket triggers that probably I, I, you wouldn't recommend, but to cast, you know, a disparaging light on all trigger modifications because a couple companies make um, poor out of spec, you know, trigger bar or what, what it might be um, would, I, I think it devalues the, the, the benefit that putting a aftermarket trigger in your gun, uh, uh, you know, provides you. Yeah, let's talk about the, the benefit. And then, and then I got some, some legal concerns, which you alluded to as well. Um, but this benefit thing, I mean, <laughs> are all triggers really that different? Right. I mean, I mean, ultimately, and I know that we talk about all the time, oh, the reset is short or the trigger's got such a crisp break. But I think a lot of that comes down to um, you're building a certain degree of experience with the specific gun, being able to say, hey, I shoot this gun a lot. Therefore, I know how this trigger feels. What does, I mean, does it really matter if the trigger is like 
micro millimeters longer of a reset? I don't think it does based on the way how, how a finger can move and how quickly a finger can go back and forth. I think ultimately it really shouldn't make that much difference uh, when we talk about, you know, this, this micro incremental uh, difference in feel. Yeah. And, and you kind of came back to that argument of like, I should be able to shoot every gun that I pick up equally well. And I think if that was the case and trigger modifications didn't do anything, if you went to your local competition, you wouldn't see people modifying their trigger um, at all. Because if, if anybody's going to benefit from, you know, micro uh, improvements. It's going to be somebody who shoots a lot and is on a timer and says, yeah, I use this trigger and it, it only gave me, you know, a 16th of an inch difference in over travel or whatever it might be. Right. Um, but my splits went from like, you know, 1.8 to 1.4 and maybe for most shooters, it's imperceivable and it's, it's non, it's not very important. Um, but certainly in a com- competitive, uh, scope, it, it might be super important. Um, and, 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 you know, we're talking about, uh, we're not a trigger modification might not always result in a lighter trigger pull, right? Certainly a lighter trigger pull inherently. I think you would agree. Um, inherently if I was squeezing a trigger and it had shorter, uh, pre-travel and it was a lighter trigger squeeze that I could inherently keep the sights on, you know, where I want them to be through that trigger pull rather than, you know, a heavier one. I think inherently you'd agree. Uh, most people would, you know, that, that a lighter trigger pull is easier to shoot more accurately without pulling the, you know, so, because you're not, your tendency isn't to pull the sights off the target. Um, but that's only one aspect of it. The, the feel of the trigger shoe uh, can give you more, uh, more um, leverage. It can feel differently the way it resets. Um, so all those little things in and of themselves may not be important, but if you get a trigger that does all those things and that, you know, kind of jives with how your finger was placed on there, it can make a huge difference um, while maybe not turning you again from none of these modifications are going to turn you from a terrible shooter to a good shooter. Of course, we know that um, only you know, experience, practice, and and training is going to do that. But um, but individually, these things can be incremental steps to um, once again making that gun more shootable for you and making you maybe either more accurate, more confident, whether it's psychological or or, or not. If the end result is that you're shooting it better, um, it's kind of hard to argue with that. <laughs> Uh, nice way to end that sentence. It's kind of hard to argue with that. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, okay, I got to get back into character. So, but, but but Matthew, I think that I see a lot of people who buy these aftermarket triggers and they fail to install them properly. So even even if we're talking about a very highly reputable aftermarket trigger that you know from a reputable brand, uh, people often do it wrong, or or you got to pay to get a gunsmith involved. And now I'm kind of back to where I started before. If if it really makes a big difference to you, um, this trigger versus that trigger, then can't just go buy a gun with a better trigger. You know, are we really going to spend a hundred bucks on some aftermarket trigger and pay a gunsmith another fifty to seventy-five dollars to install it? Wouldn't the one seventy-five justify just buying a different gun that maybe has a better trigger? Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen people put like chrome rims on a you know eighty-five Toyota, so 
you know, people like to dress up their stuff the way they like it. And some, some of these modifications sure might only, uh, look like, you know, it, it might only psychologically or visually change it. Um, but if somebody chooses to do that i mean i think that that's uh that's why we live in america you know we got got the freedom to buy the gun we got the freedom to buy the aftermarket trigger i i think you know if you could find me a a company that produces a gun that i could go in there and a la carte pick out i want this sight from this company and i want this trigger and i want this modification to the to the you know grip texture and stuff i think that company would would go bananas. I think people would buy it, you know, uh, a a lot because I think that Americans like their stuff and they like it their way. And, uh, and I think that that company would, would do really well rather than just kind of force you to, to buy this and then say, Hey, it's perfection, but we know that you're probably going to modify it a little bit. Perfection. Nice one. Um, (laughs) all right. So Let's talk about the elephant in the room, which you brought up earlier, and I wanted my chance to say my two bits bits before before we got deep on this. And I think that a lot of this uh, comes down to legal liability. You know, I've heard from all of my friends on the cool gun forums that I'm a member of that if you put an aftermarket trigger on your gun, that's going to have a pretty negative uh, repercussion in a self-defense uh, trial. You know, I mean, maybe sure my competitive gun because I'm trying to squeeze out every little inch of performance, but in a self-defense situation, I don't think it's going to make any big difference. So you can respond to that if you want. But more importantly, if this is my defensive gun, uh, then now I got to go to trial and I got to deal with a prosecutor using this against me. Yeah. Uh, is our, Can you, I mean, maybe you have the the, the 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 case pulled up in front of you, but do you know of any cases that have hinged on somebody's uh, you know apex trigger install? Well, hinged is an interesting word, right? So first off, there we would never like. There's no way, even if I had intimate knowledge of a case where a trigger came up, there'd be no way to say that the jury who went into a private room and debated this after the fact that the trigger happened to be the thing that it hinged on for that jury, right? I mean, I think that it's 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 not practical to presume that any of us know what any case really hinges on necessarily. So I think that's your first issue. Uh, second, you know, <laughs> we have very little information about all the different self-defense cases taking place in this country. I mean, there, there could have been dozens of these. No, I can't point out one. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess you can put that feather in your hat if you want, but that doesn't necessarily mean it hasn't happened. Uh, I mean, th- there's endless numbers of jury trials out there uh, that very rarely really get any uh, high level national regional attention if they don't hit an appellate court or Supreme Court or a district court. So I think to suggest that just because I can't find one on Google, that that means it's never happened is, is probably unrealistic or unfair. I mean, and, and certainly what we can see, I, I definitely could put, point out cases and trials where uh, other sim- seemingly simple things that all of us think don't matter have been brought up. I mean, George Zimmerman is one that's very high profile. So we have the transcripts from that case. And the prosecutor in the George Zimmerman trial uh, brought up the fact that he carried one with the, cham- with the round in the chamber as a way to suggest he was he was premeditating uh, a crime. So that's that's not, you know, an upgraded trigger. But it's an example of something that seems rather trivial that a prosecutor did bring up in a very high-profile documented case. Yeah, it's. I mean, you you bring up the Zimmerman thing. I I don't. What what was the end result of that one? He was acquitted. Yeah. So I mean, even even trying to present that as a as a, you know a stretch uh, didn't didn't fly. And, and you know we know that 
prosecutors will try out anything, you know, to, to disparage the person um, and paint them as some psychopathic killer. I think that if somebody's trying to present me as a, if my, uh, if my use of force on its, on face value uh, is reasonable, I, I don't think that it's going to hinge on a trigger modification. I think that if it, if my use of force is so razor thin of uh, reasonableness that they're going to a trigger modification. I think that I'm pro or if, if a prosecutor is trying to do that, I think that it, it's either a, an indicator that my use of force is pretty rock solid and they can't hit it in any reasonable way. And they're, they're trying to reach at different things to, to try to paint me out to be something that I'm not, or um, that, you know, that it's such a small minute, minute thing that most of the uh, jurors are going to see that, you know, th that, that has nothing to do with uh, use of force. And, and I, I would argue that if we can't find a case that, did hinge on a trigger, um, then we probably, um, you know, and we would, if, if I were to say, okay, I'll, I'll accept the premise that there are cases that maybe did hinge on a trigger modification. I think you'd have to also acknowledge and maybe, uh, you know, agree to there's probably cases or, or shootings that maybe resulted in, um, that, that were benefited by a trigger modification, right? Like somebody who maybe theoretically uh, couldn't squeeze that trigger and get accurate shots with a more heavier trigger pull. Now that they have a lighter trigger pull or a modified gun, maybe they did get those shots and they didn't, you know, shoot, it, it, you know, miss and hit somebody innocent. So I think on both sides, we could speculate that there are cases for and against. Uh, we, we just really don't know. I don't think I have anything else to say on gun modifications. Matthew, any final thoughts from you? Anything you haven't said you want to get out? Um, modifications are good. Uh, America good. America gun good. mods good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're going to jump out of character here, and I'm going to I'm going to just give us both an opportunity to bring up any arguments that the other person didn't bring up, or anything that had I been on the other side of this debate, I might have said. Uh, so Matthew, I'll start with you. What what argument maybe did I fail to make in this conversation about gun modifications that I think is, you know that might be relevant or that you've heard people make before? Um, I think you hit most of them. I think you know you hit the cost, you hit the the legal concerns, you hit um, the argument training versus modifications. Um, you know those are those are really the big things um but once you take cost away and you kind of push that to the side and you say training's still important uh i think it you know it comes down to a personal choice and um but yeah i i can't think of anything that you you that i would have you know argued differently mm -hmm. but i'm uh, sure that you're some i missed so i'm sure, i'm sure there's some both of us missed <laughs> uh the, i think you did a great job too presenting both sides of the argument i i think that um, the trigger one is probably the one that gets the most heated. I think the other ones are a little bit less contentious in, sure. in our, uh, in our, in our society. There's lots of different ways to, to modify, uh, like I'm thinking about a grip, like there's lots of different ways to modify a grip. You don't have to, you know, pull out an iron and, and stipple it. You can put some tape on it or you can buy an aftermarket like Hogue, uh, grip or, or the Talon grips or, you know, there's so many ways to, to just test something that's not that expensive. Mm. Uh, so I think that's, that, that's relevant. Um, we, you know, when we were talking about sites, I think that we, we have to, you know, it's so funny how, how we love to talk out of both sides of our mouth. Like we'll have someone in our industry who on one side would be like, well, you got to have a super fast draw speed because microseconds count. 
<laughs> but then they're like, you don't need upgraded sites. Like just, you know, like it's like, well, well but if upgraded sites allow me to get a site picture microseconds faster then you just got done saying that microseconds count. Right. Uh, so I think that that's, that's, you know, my, my two cents on, on that one is that time counts. And, and that same thing is true would be a trigger, right? Like if I could shoot faster or acquire sites faster and microseconds count in a gunfight, then both those things arguably make it easier to win a gunfight. Uh, I, I always laugh a little bit when I think about people who make the, uh, the argument I tried to make about, you know, my defensive gun and it having, you know, the, the prosecutor using my trigger against me, that just blows my mind. Every time I hear that argument, you did a really good job, uh, talking about that. But I, I guess, you know what my response is when I, when people say that, Matthew, I say, what argument do you think the prosecutor is going to make? Please explain <laughs> to me how you think this upgraded aftermarket trigger is relevant in a self-defense trial. Go ahead. Tell me. Like right. I, I can't even fathom what the argument is. Certainly, the like if it's a negligent discharge issue, Different. right? Like if yeah. now if, if you're being charged with recklessness or negligence it, because your gun went off on accident, right? And you're arguing that hey, I didn't do anything reckless or negligent, and the prosecutor's saying, but you put this trigger on here, and that that made this accident more probable. Sure, like we can have that argument. You bring in your expert witnesses, but if we're talking about a self-defense case, like you are admitting to pressing the trigger, right? Like, yes, right. I pressed the trigger. I shot that person on purpose. How is the fact that I have an aftermarket trigger at all relevant to my claim of self-defense? Right. I don't. I don't see that at all. Like, I think that's such a like. What's the argument? Like, you're a bad person because you <laughs> you're the kind of person who upgrades your trigger. Yeah, I don't yeah. get that at all. <laughs> So anyway, um, I, I like this comment on YouTube from uh, Crow Crowy Magnum. I don't know how Crow Crow Magnum. He says, "So you're saying I need to take my grenade launcher off my everyday carry pistol?" I don't think we're saying that. We're <laughs> saying that uh, I think we're saying any modification that'll that makes you more likely to win the fight um, without jeopardizing any amount of safety is probably valid. And I think that's that's kind of where I I truly stand on this issue, Matthew. Any any final thoughts from you? No, I, I agree totally. I, I think if you make a modification, just make, you know, make it with a purpose. I mean, sure, certainly if you want to Cerakote your gun, that's a modification, right? But it's for aesthetics and uh, there's things we do for aesthetics on the gun. But I mean, if you're making choices between training and modifications, do the modifications that, uh, you know, are beneficial to you, but get the training first. And, and then you'll realize what, what modifications, if any, that you want or need to make. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. Modifications in themselves aren't bad. Certainly there are modifications that probably are better than others, you know, give you more bang for your buck. But um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in the boat of all modifications are bad and I'm not in the boat. Like, put a grenade launcher on your gun and you know, but I mean, if you want to, right. But I'd be hard <laughs> to argue for it. Yeah. On Facebook, Mark makes this comment. He says any modification that doesn't also increase the risk of collateral damage in the case of the grenade launcher. Right. So, right. you know, there's an appropriate time and place for, for a grenade. Thank uh, you. you know. Attorney Mark. Yes. Yeah. To Mark is, <laughs> but there, but there's an appropriate time and place for, for chucking a grenade. I think, you know, we right. got to accept that. Right. So, <laughs> 
Um, all right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this, our first attempt at a debate. If you enjoyed this, will you send us an email at podcast at concealedcare.com or leave us a review on iTunes wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell us you, what you liked about it, how we might do this better in the future, and if there's any topics you specifically would like to hear us debate. Uh, I certainly I know there's probably some legislative gun control type ones um, that would be valuable in the future, and there's a lot of other ones that would probably be uh, valuable as well. So whatever topics you would love to hear us debate, certainly send us a message and let us know. Again, thank you to HiViz Sites for uh, you know giving us this you know for, for sponsoring this podcast and in some ways giving us some of the inspiration for this particular topic uh, me and me and Matthew and Riley who's not here are all of the opinion that uh, a lot of a lot of guns come with sites that are less than awesome having really highly visible contracts contrasting front and rear sites will always make it easier to pick up the sites faster when you're shooting and faster matters. So that's that's where we're at on that issue. And obviously there's tons of different competing products out there and you can all do your own research, but don't forget to check out HiVizSites.com, H-I-V-I-Z sites.com. So Matthew, any other final thoughts? Thanks for uh, thanks for switching up the, the uh, program. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, that was fun. I felt <laughs> stupid a lot of times saying things that I, I d- actually didn't truly believe, but right. but it worked out just fine. You did well. All right, guys. <laughs> if if you if if you uh, if you're just listening to this, you could go watch the video and you'll see me like stifling laughs and like holding back on several several moments there. Uh, before we let you go for this week, we need to give away our weekly prize. So this week we're giving away the bump in the night video training program you're going to get access to both the dvd and the digital download so those of you who like putting something in a dvd player having it tangibly and owning it you're going to get that but we're also going to give you access to stream it via your phone or your computer or whatever bump in the night is a great program it runs about 48 minutes if i how about 48 i'm pretty sure it's exactly 48 minutes i could be wrong uh, but it's an excerpt of our complete home defense training program and it's a great great product so matthew you got it pulled up or do you need me to I pull do. the winner no nope, okay, i got him so I would do a drum roll if I thought I could competently do one, but I can't. So who's our winner this week? Today's winner is Mr. Johnson. Uh, I will email you. You are the lucky winner. Check your email. Make sure you check your spam and all that stuff, too. If your last name is Johnson. If not, then try next week. Given the number of, of, of uh, listeners we have, I'm guessing we have lots of Johnsons. So uh, if you if you are wondering if you're the winner, if you missed the email, you can always contact our customer support team, support at concealedcarry.com. Next week, we are giving away a month, 30-day trial of LASRX, which is software that I, I truly believe in. I know, Matthew, you use it. I was just, the other day, I, I transferred my license to my uh, my tablets and I, cause I got mm. this new, uh, it's probably here somewhere. Yeah. I got this new tablet, uh, mount thing for my tripod. And so I transferred my LASR X license to my, to my, uh, to my tablet so I could put it in my tripod, have a bigger screen uh, that I can use when I'm shooting, but I'm still not, you know, have to plug into a wall or anything. A tablet's really right. nice that way. So I love LASR X. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. He, uh, I echo that hundred percent. Yeah, so guys, if you want your chance to get a free 30-day trial to LASRX, go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. And of course, that's the same link every week. So every week, make sure you know somewhere between about Tuesday and Saturday, you go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize and fill out that form so you're entered to win our weekly podcast giveaway. So, so from Matthew and I from uh, Ohio and Colorado, thank you for listening. And remember to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. 
A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.